Chapter Twelve of the Road to Understanding. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Road to Understanding by Eleanor H. Porter. Chapter Twelve The Trail of the Ink. Burke Denby was well pleased with a letter that he had sent to his wife enclosing the ten thousand dollar check. He felt that it was both conclusive and diplomatic, and he believed that it carried a frankness that would prove to be disarming. He had every confidence that Helen would eventually, if not at once, recognize its logic and reasonableness and follow its suggestions. With a light heart, therefore, he gave himself up to the enjoyment of the day with his father. By Saturday, however, a lively curiosity began to assail him as to just how Helen did take the note, after all. And there also came unpleasantly to him a recurrence of the uncomfortable feeling that his abrupt departure from home Thursday night had been neither brave nor kind and in fact hardly decent under the circumstances he decided that he would when he saw helen really quite humble himself and apologize roundly it was no more than her due poor girl by sunday between his curiosity and his uneasy remorse he was too nervous really to enjoy anything to the full but he sternly adhered to his original plan of not going down to the dale street flat before Monday, believing in his heart that nothing could do so much good to both of them under the circumstances as a few days of thought apart from each other. Monday, however, found him headed for Dale Street, but in an hour he was back at Elm Hill. He was plainly very angry. She's gone, he announced with a brevity more eloquent of his state of mind than a flood of words would have been. Gone where? home to spend that ten thousand dollars of course she left this with a frown john denby took the preferred bit of paper upon which had been scrawled i hope you'll enjoy your play day as much as i shall mine address me at winton if you care to write helen where did you find this on my chiffonier i didn't think that of helen and there was nothing to show when she left nothing except that the apartment was in spick-and-span order from end to end and that must have taken some time to accomplish but perhaps the neighbors would there's no one she knows but mrs cobb interrupted burke with an impatient gesture you suppose i'm going to her and whimper my wife's gone please do you know where she went not much i saw her the dear creature and one glance at her face showed that she was dying to be asked but I didn't afford her that satisfaction. I gave her a particularly blithe good morning and then walked away as if I'd known I was coming home to an empty house all the time. But I repeat, I'm disappointed. I didn't think this of Helen running off like this. You think she was angry then at your letter? Of course she was, at that and at the way I left her the other night. I was a bit of a cad there, I'll admit, but that doesn't excuse her for doing a trick like this. I wrote her a good letter, and you sent her a very generous check, and I told her I was coming today to pick up my traps and say good-bye. 
she didn't care to see me that's all but she might have had some thought that i'd like to see my daughter before i go if there was time i'd run up there but it's out of the question with only tomorrow before we start winton is her hometown i suppose yes she left there you know two years before i saw her her father died and then her mother and she had to look out for herself i shall write of course and send it up before i go and i shall try to write decently but i will own up father i'm mad clear through too bad too bad john denby frowned and shook his head again i must confess burke that i too didn't quite think this of helen i don't know her street address of course burke was on his feet pacing back and forth but that isn't necessary it's a small town i know that i told her i thought she'd like the hotel best but she may prefer to go to some friend's home however that doesn't signify she'll get it all right if i direct it simply to winton but i can't have a reply before i leave there isn't time even if she deigned to write which i doubt in her present evident frame of mind pleasant isn't it makes me real happy to start off with tomorrow no of course it doesn't admitted john denby with a sigh but come burke his eyes grew wistful don't let this silly whim of helen's spoil everything fretting never did help anything and perhaps after all it's the best thing that could have happened a meeting between you and helen's present temper could have resulted only in unhappiness obviously helen is piqued and angry at your suggesting a separation for a time she determined to give it to you but to give it to you a little sooner than you wanted that's her way of getting back at you that's all let her alone she'll come to her senses in time oh right of course he hastened to add in answer to the expression on his son's face but don't expect a reply too soon you must remember you gave helen a pretty big blow to her pride i wish she had looked at the matter sensibly of course but probably that was too much to expect i'm afraid it was of biting his lips burke pulled himself up sharply i'll go and write my letter he finished wearily instead and john denby echoed the long sigh he drew it was january when john denby and his son returned from their alaskan trip the long and rather serious illness of john denby in november and the necessary slowness of their journeying thereafter had caused a series of delays very trying to both father and son to neither john denby nor burke had the trip been an entire success burke in spite of his joy at being with his father and his delight in the traveling itself could not get away from the shadow of an upturned bottle of ink in a dale street flat at times with all the old boyish enthusiasm and lightness of heart he entered into whatever came but underneath it all and forever cropping uppermost was a surge of anger and a bitterness of heart not once through the entire trip had burke heard from his wife their mail of course had been infrequent and irregular but from time to time a batch of letters would be found waiting for them and always with feverish eagerness burke had scanned the envelopes for a sight of helen's familiar scrawl he had never found it and he was very angry thereat he was not worried or frightened any denby of the dalton denbys was too well known not to have any vital information concerning him or her communicated to the family headquarters if anything had happened to either helen or the child 
he would have known of it of course through brett this silence could mean therefore but one thing helen's own wish that he should not hear he felt that he had a right to be angry he pictured helen happy gay in her new finery queening it over her old school friends in wenton and nursing wrath and resentment against himself else why did she not write and the picture did not please him he had suggested separation for a time to be sure but he had not suggested total annihilation of all intercourse if she did not care to say anything for herself she might at least be decent enough to let him hear as to the welfare of his child he reasoned indignantly on one course of action he was determined as soon as he returned home he would go to helen and have it out with her if she wished to carry to such absurd lengths her unreasonable pique at his perfectly reasonable suggestion he wanted to know it at once and not live along this way under these circumstances it is not strange perhaps that the trip for burke was not an unalloyed joy and the delays in addition to giving him no little anxiety for his father fretted him almost beyond endurance as to john denby he too could not get away from the shadow of an upturned bottle of ink besides suffering the reflection of its effect on his son in that son's moodiness and frequent lack of enthusiasm he had no small amount of it on his own account burke's word picture of that evening's catastrophe had been a vivid one and john denby could not forget it he realized that it meant much in many ways the fact that it had been followed by helen's ominous silence did not lessen his uneasy questionings he wondered if after all he had done the wise thing in bringing about this temporary separation he still believed in his heart that he had but he did not seem to find much happiness in that belief in spite of his supreme joy and content in his son's companionship he found himself many a time almost wishing the trip were over and the delays at the end were fully as great a source of annoyance to himself as they were to his son he as well as burke therefore heaved a long sigh of relief as the train drew into the dalton station bringing into view the old denby family carriage john denby did not care for motor-cars with old horace on the box and with brett nearby plainly waiting to extend a welcoming hand brett's face was white and a little strained looking john denby noticing it through the car window remarked to his son guess brett will be glad to see us he looks tired overworked i fear faithful fellow that burke we owe him our trip anyway but who supposed it was going to prolong itself away into january like this who did indeed murmured burke as he followed his father from the car burke denby had not been at home half an hour when his face drawn and ashen he strode into the library where his father was sitting before the fire father helen has not been at wenton at all he said in the tragically constrained voice of a man who is desperately trying to keep himself from exploding into ravings and denunciations john denby came erect in his chair not been there what do you mean how do you know brett 
I found these upstairs in my room, every letter I've written her, even the first one from here before I left, returned unopened, marked unclaimed, address unknown, together with a letter from Brett in explanation. I've just been talking with him on the phone, too. So that's it. Why he looked so at the station. What did he say? Why didn't he let you know before? He says it was a long time before the first letter came back. He knew we were away up in the mountains and would be very likely started for home before he could reach us with it anyway. And there wouldn't be a thing we could do up there except to come home, and we'd already been doing that anyway. And this would only worry us and trouble us and make our return trip a horror without helping a bit. Quite right. Brett is always right, nodded John Denby. Then, of course, came the delay, your sickness and all. Of course, he wouldn't let us know then, when we couldn't come. By that time, other letters I had written on the way out began to come back from Winton. I always used my own envelopes, with the Dalton address in the corner, so, of course, they all showed up here in time. When the second and third came, he knew it wasn't a mistake. He'd been hoping the first one was, somehow, he said. Yes, yes, I see. And, of course, it might have been. But what did he do? Didn't he do anything? Yes, first he said he kept his own counsel here in town. He knew we'd want to avoid all gossip and publicity, of course. He put the thing into the hands of a private detective whom he could trust. And he went himself to Winton for a vacation, apparently. Good old Brett, wise as usual. What did he find? Nothing, except that she was not there, and hadn't been there since she left some years ago, soon after a mother's death. He said he's positive of that, so he had to come back no wiser than when he went. But the detective? Very little there. Still there was something. He traced her to Boston. Boston? Yes. What friends has she in Boston? None, so far as I know. I never heard her mention knowing a soul there. Still, I believe she had a position there with someone before she went to Aunt Eunice, but I don't know who it was. There's Gleason. She knows him. Burke gave his father a glance from scornful eyes. My best friend. She'd be apt to go to him, wouldn't she, if she were running away from me? Besides, we've had three or four letters from him since we've been gone. Don't you suppose he'd tell us of it if she'd gone to him? Yes, yes, of course, frowned John Denby, biting his lips. It's only that I was trying to get hold of someone or something. Think of it. That child alone in Boston, and no friends. Of course she had money. That is, I suppose she cashed it, that check. John Denby turned with a start. Oh, yes, I asked Brett about that. I hoped maybe there'd be a clue there, if she got somebody to cash it for her. But there was nothing. She got the money herself, at the bank here, not long after we went. So she must have come back for a time anyway. Brett said Spaulding at the bank knew her, of course, and so there was no question as to identification. Still, it was so large a one that he telephoned to Brett before he paid it, asking if it were all right, you being away. Brett evidently knew you had given her such a check. Yes, I had told him, nodded John Denby. So he said yes, it was. He says he supposed she had come down from Winton to get it cashed, and that she would leave the bulk of it there in the bank to her credit. Anyway, all he could do was to assure Spaulding that you had given her such a check, 
just before you went away yes yes i see nodded john denby again she didn't leave any of the money however she took it all with her took it all ten thousand dollars yes the detective of course is still working on the case he's got to boston but there he's up against a blank wall he's run a fine tooth comb through all sorts of public and private institutions in boston and vicinity without avail he's made a thorough search at the railroad station he can't find a person who has any recollection of a young woman and child answering their description arriving on that date who seemed to be troubled or in doubt where to go he questioned the matron ticket men cabbies policemen everybody of course everyone had seen plenty of young women with babies in their arms young women who had the hair and eyes and general appearance of helen and who were anxious and fretted they said young women with babies were apt to be anxious and fretted but they didn't remember one who asked frantic questions as to what to do and where to go and all that acting as we think helen would have acted alone in a strange city poor child poor child groaned john denby where can but his son interrupted sternly i don't know where she is of course but don't be too sure it is poor child with her dad she's doing this thing because she wants to do it don't forget that didn't she purposely mislead us by that note she left on my chiffonier she didn't say she'd gone to winton but she let me think she had address me at winton if you care to write she said and don't forget that she also said i hope you'll enjoy your play day as much as i shall mine don't you worry about helen she's taken my child and your ten thousand dollars and she's off somewhere having a good time and helen could have a good time on ten thousand dollars incidentally she's also punishing us she means to give us a good scare she's waiting till we get home until the money's gone and then she'll let herself be found oh come come bert aren't you being just a little bit harsh remonstrated john denby i don't think so she deserves something for taking that child away like this honestly as my temper is now if it wasn't for the baby i should feel almost like saying that i hope she wouldn't ever come back i don't want to see her but of course with the baby that's another matter i should say so exclaimed john denby emphatically yes but see here dad helen knew where she was going she's gone to friends wouldn't she have left some trace in that station if she'd been frightened and uncertain where to go brett says the detective found one cabby who remembers taking just such a young woman and child from an evening train at about that time but he didn't recollect where he took her and he couldn't say as to whether she'd been crying or not but he's positive she directed him where to go without a moment's hesitation if that was helen she knew where she was going all right john denby frowned and did not answer his eyes were troubled but perhaps here at the flat he began after a time the detective tried that he went as a student or something and managed to hire a room of mrs cobb he became very friendly and chatty and showed interest in all the neighbors not forgetting the vacant flat on the same floor but he didn't learn much but he learned something an angry red mounted to burke's forehead oh yes he learned that it belonged to a poor little woman whose husband was as rich as mud but quite the meanest thing alive in that he tried to buy her off 
with ten thousand dollars because he was ashamed of her just about what i should think would come from a woman of mrs cobb's mentality then she knew about the ten thousand dollar check apparently but she didn't know helen had gone to boston the detective found out that she told him she believed she'd gone back to her folks so helen evidently did not confide in her or perhaps she intentionally misled her as she did us i see i see sighed john denby for a minute the angry perplexed baffled young husband marched back and forth back and forth in the great silent room then abruptly he stopped short and faced his father i shall try to find her of course though i think she'll let us hear from her of her own accord pretty soon now but i shan't wait for that first i shall go to aunt eunice and see if she knows the names of any of the people with whom helen used to live before she came to her and then whatever clues i find i shall endeavor to follow to the end meanwhile so far as dalton is concerned my wife is out of town that's all it's no one's business the matter will be hauled over every dinner table and rolled under the tongue of every tabby in town but they can only surmise and suspect they can't know anything about it and we'll be mighty careful that they don't brett bless him has been the soul of discretion we'll see that we follow suit my wife is out of town that's all and he turned and flung himself from the room as soon as possible burke denby went to his aunt eunice and told her his sorry tale from her he obtained one or two names and what he eagerly grasped at an address in boston each of these clues he followed assiduously only to find that it led nowhere angrier but no wiser he went back home the detective too reported no progress and as the days became weeks and the weeks a month with no word of helen burke settled into a bitterness of wrath and resentment that would not brook the mention of helen's name in his presence burke was feeling very much abused these days he was indeed thinking of himself and pitying himself almost constantly the woman to whom he had given his name and for whom he had sacrificed so much had made that name a byword and a laughing stock in his native town he was neither bachelor nor husband he was not even a widower but a nondescript thing to be pointed out as a sort of monster even his child was taken away from him and was doubtless being brought up to hate him burke forgot that dorothy elizabeth was as yet but slightly over two years old as for helen's side of the matter burke was too busy polishing his own shield of defence to give any consideration to hers when he thought of his wife it was usually only to say bitterly to himself when that ten thousand dollars is gone we'll hear from her all right and he was not worrying at all about her comfort with ten thousand dollars to spend she knows where she is and she knows where i am he would declare fiercely to himself when she gets good and ready she'll come and not until then evidently in march a line from dr gleason said that he would be in town a day or two and would drop in to see them with a the letter in his hand burke went to his father 
Gleason's coming Friday, he announced tersely. Well, we've got to settle on what to tell him. About Helen, yes. Of course he'll have to know something, but I shall tell him mighty little. Burke's lips snapped together in the grim manner that was becoming habitual with him. Gleason came on Friday. There was an odd constraint in his manner. At the same time, there was a nervous wistfulness that was almost an appeal, yet he was making obviously a great effort to appear as usual. Not until Burke found himself alone with his guest did he speak of his wife. And then he said, You know, of course, that Helen has er uh, that she's not here. Yes. There was a subdued excitement in the doctor's voice. Of course, everybody knows that, I suppose, retorted Burke bitterly. He hesitated, then went on with manifest effort. If you don't mind, old fellow, we'll leave it right there. There's really nothing that I care to say. A look of keen disappointment crossed the doctor's face. But, Burke, if you knew that your wife began the doctor imploringly. There are no ifs about it, interrupted Burke, with stern implacability. Helen knows very well where I am, and she isn't here. That's enough for me. But, my dear boy, pleaded the doctor again. Gleason, please, I'd rather not talk about it, interrupted Burke Denby decidedly. And the doctor, in the face of the stern, uncompromisingness of the man before him, and of his own solemn but hard-wrung promise given to a no less uncompromising little woman, whom he had left only the day before, was forced to drop the matter. His face, however, still carried its look of troubled disappointment, and he steadfastly refused to remain at the house even for a meal, a most extraordinary proceeding for him. He's angry, and he's angry with me, muttered Burke Denby to himself, his eyes moodily fixed on the doctor's hurrying figure as it disappeared down the street. He wanted to preach and plead and tell me my duty, as if I didn't know my own business best myself. Bah! A fig for his ifs and buts! End of chapter 12